0: Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Hey man, I love that song. I love that song, sounded great. Thank you young people for that. Take your Bibles, turn with me to two places this morning. We're gonna look at two short verses and use it as a springboard. And that is 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and James chapter three. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, James chapter three. I do have a lot of material to cover this morning. I'm asking God to help me be able to get it all in. Um, this is one of those messages, the longer I worked on it, the longer it got. Amen. It happens. It happens sometimes. It just turns into, and that's a lot of times how my series start out. I'm going to preach one message and every point's a message. And so I think, well, I'll just break it down and preach a three or four or five point message in three or four or five different messages where I can drill down and expound truth. But this is one message that I want to get all of it out in one if I can. And so, uh, bear with me, um, we we didn't I didn't come to leave. I came to get in. Hey, Amen. Uh, a lot of times church looks like a drag race service. People drag in at ten and race out at twelve. Uh, but uh, this morning I really feel like this message will help God's people in a wide variety of ways. It's a bit general, but it will be something that I think will be very helpful. First Corinthians 14. Stand with me, please. I'm going to read two verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're going to look at just verse number 33. If you're there, say amen. amen. The Bible says, for God is not the author of confusion, yeah. but of peace as in all churches of the saints. And in James chapter number 3, verse number 16, the Bible says, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. We're going to preach a message this morning entitled, Understanding Confusion, understanding confusion. I want you to pray that God will use this message to help God's people. All right, Father, we pray that you'd touch and strengthen and enable us now to deliver the message that you laid upon our heart. Father, I'm confident that there's a multitude of people, not only in this service but outside the service that may watch this later, that could benefit from this message. I pray that you'd fill it with your power and use it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I'd like to begin by saying, I don't know if it's just me, uh, but I cannot remember a time when confusion was as rampant as it is right now. It seems as if everybody is confused about everything. I mean, we are constantly confused and being given mixed messages from experts, people that are in high places giving conflicting reports, even so-called somewhat reliable news agencies are not telling us all the facts and just enough to be even more confusing. And uh, I mean, everything from everything from the weather, can I get a witness on that? The weather reports to, to UFOs, to hot spots around the world to covid i mean everything that you can think of it seems to touch our life in some way Whenever somebody says something, it just seems to generate more confusion than clarity. We're seeing an entire generations of young people being uh, systematically confused about their gender. They're confused about creation and evolution. They're confused about roles in the family. Uh, uh, Even Christians today, so-called Christians, are confused about key doctrines. There's a lot of confusion about generated from different Bible translations and the different wordings in each one. By the way, two books that say two different things cannot be the same, all right? So there's a lot of confusion generated there, and literally just about every subject under the sun, it seems as if there's confusion. This morning, I want to just jump into, in a, in a general way, understand a little bit more about confusion, where it comes from, how it works, and how to keep it from happening. We're just going to look at the first thing I want to notice is the carnality of confusion, the carnality of confusion. The Bible is clear. Old Testament and New Testament, whenever you see the word confusion used in a verse, it is not used in a positive way. Confusion is always wrong, and it is always detrimental. And our text tonight, this morning in James chapter 3 verse number 16 says where envying and strife is there is confusion and every evil work. So you see how that that just kind of generates every evil work as a result of the confusion. And uh, there's nothing remotely positive or spiritual about a person that is confused. Is everybody still with me? In fact, I was greatly shocked to discover that the first several mentions of the word confusion is Leviticus 18, verse 23, and Leviticus chapter 20, and verse number 12. And both of those verses deals with gross sexual perversion and depravity involving relatives, and animals. Is everybody still with me? That's Leviticus eighteen twenty-three and Leviticus twenty-twelve. The Bible says, "Don't do these things." It is confusion. All right. So you see the the emphasis on the perversion and and how backwards it is and how wrong it is. The eighteen twenty-eight. Webster's Dictionary defines confusion with about five or six or seven different meanings. The first one, the primary meaning, because I don't have time to look at all of them, you can actually preach a message on just the dictionary uses of the word. Interesting enough, the 1828 Webster's Dictionary gives Bible verses under every single one of those definitions. It's amazing. Uh, you could just about study your Bible with a dictionary, 1828 Webster's. But that, that first one, that primary definition for the word confusion means to mix or blend things so that they cannot be distinguished. That is the primary definition of that word. The root word of confuse is fuse, F-U-S. It comes from the Latin and it means to pour. All right, now watch this. When two types of metal are fused, they're poured together so that they form one. When there's an abundance of pouring out, we say profusely, they're bleeding profusely. When, there is a, when something is poured in, we say infused. We drink that infused water. It's got fruits and vegetable flavors infused into it. It's been poured in. When someone offers you something and you refuse it, you are taking what they're pouring to you and pouring it back to them. That's the Latin meaning of the word fuse. When something is poured out of one person into another person, we call it a transfusion. And the word confusion is when different incompatible things are mixed or poured out and blended together. Is everybody still with me? People say, I got mixed up. That is the literal meaning of the word confusion. Mixed up, mingled. That's what it means. Blended so that things cannot become distinguished. And this meaning is consistent in the scriptures, throughout scriptures, both in the words that are used and the examples that are given. The greatest way to confuse is to blend facts with error. The known with the unknown lies with truth. That is the greatest way to create confusion. In other words, Satan will blur the lines. He's pouring out lies, deceptions, and half-truths And it creates confusion. The first example we have in the Bible of confusion that does not use the word confusion is Genesis chapter 3, verse number 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. That is the first time we find confusion generated without using the word confusion. And when I read that story in Genesis 3, 1 of the fall, how the Eve was tempted, and took of that fruit and plunged all of humanity into sin, three things I see in Genesis 3, 1 that still stands today in the the perpetuating or the generating of confusion. Three things from Genesis 3, 1. Number one, the source of the confusion was the serpent or the devil. That's always the source. John chapter 8, verse number 44, Jesus said it like this, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So Satan's very first words in Genesis 3-1 was creating confusion and doubt in the minds and the hearts. Of God's creation. So the source of the confusion was always the devil. Number two, the approach is always going to be one of subtlety. Yep. Subtlety. The serpent was subtle. Confusion is generated when there is subtlety involved. That word subtle means shrewd, crafty, or sly. They put a question mark where God put a period. The same word is used I'm talking about subtle. The same word is used to describe the seduction of the harlot in Proverbs chapter 7 and verse number 10, where Solomon said, Behold, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot and subtle of a heart. It's crafty, it's sneaky. There is a hidden agenda and there is a hidden motive. They won't just come right out and tell you what they believe, they're very sneaky and tricky, which is confusing. Galatians 2.4 says, and that because the false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privately to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us again into bondage. Jude, verse number four says, for there are certain men crept in unawares, crept in unawares, they're creeps. They crept in unaware who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, all right? So they crept in unawares. 2 Peter 2, 1 says this, but there were false prophets also among the people even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies even denying the Lord that bought them. So there's a subtlety that is always involved where there's confusion. Number three, the target was the weakest one in the crowd. There was Adam, and there was Eve. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Give honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessels. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 to 14 says, For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So the three characteristics from Genesis 3, 1 are very, very real today. The source will always be Satan. His style will always be subtlety. And they will always target the weakest one in the crowd. Satan inserted just enough of a lie to make her second guess what God actually said and what he meant. He created just enough confusion in her mind to tilt the scales in his favor. And he's still doing that today. We cannot look at all the words in the Bible, all the verses in the Bible that are are, are similar or synonyms of the word confusion. I'd like to look at just a couple of them just to kind of give you a broader idea of how God looks at confusion. There's a word called confound that is found in Genesis chapter number 11, the story of the Tower of Babel. We find that word confound. It means to mix, to mingle, and to confuse, all right? Genesis eleven seven. God said, Let us go down in there, confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. Genesis 11, 9 says, Therefore, in the name of it is called Babel, because the Lord did therefore confound the language of all the earth. So that confusion was the result of God mixing and mingling the languages. You put a person speaking Chinese in a room, and put a person in the room speaking Italian, put another person in the room speaking Navajo, put another person there speaking hillbilly like I speak, and just watch the, the chaos that would ensue as they're trying to communicate one with another. There's a mixing and a mingling, and it creates confusion. You get over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, our text, for one of our text verses in chapter 14, the Apostle Paul is dealing with, with this issue of tongues being spoken in the church. Now, I do not have time to preach an entire message on that, and that is a whole message. I have a book on it in the bookstore. I wrote it years ago. If you're interested in it, you're welcome to go and get it. But I want to just point out that the text of First Corinthians 14, verse number 33, if God's not the author of confusion we find that word uncertain. Look at verse number seven. 1 Corinthians 14 verse number seven. And even things without life giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, that's what it would do if I tried to play it, who shall prepare himself to the battle. We were talking this morning, the boys and I were talking yesterday about just how amazing it'd be at the Battle of Gettysburg Civil War if they'd have just had walkie-talkies, right? I mean, I mean, look at the lives that could have been saved. They were just on the other side of the mountain. They couldn't communicate, but they communicated with bugles. They had certain, certain little tunes that they played. I've heard Reveille. I've heard Taps. They're different. I don't know the rest of them. I don't know charge, retreat. I don't know what the lunchtime. I don't know what none of the rest of them are. But they communicated with a bugle. And what he's saying is, if you didn't have a distinct sound, how would you know what they're saying? If you just walk over that piano and you start slapping keys when the the song uh, service starts, nobody's going to know what we're supposed to do. There's a distinction. And he uses that word uncertain. That word uncertain means indistinct and obscure. And there is a context where we find our text verse is in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. God is not the author of confusion. That word confusion in 1 Corinthians 14, means instability, a state of disorder, or disturbance. God is not the author of confusion in the local church. Right. Amen. Amen. That's what he's talking about. He was the author of confusion in Genesis 11, obviously but he's not the author of confusion within the local church. So if there's confusion in the church, it's not of God. Corinth was a carnal church. No wonder they celebrated and pursued a form of worshiping that was unscriptural and created confusion within the church. So we see the carnality of confusion. Whenever you see confusion, it is not a sign of spirituality and it is not a sign of somebody that knows God or knows their Bible. There's an enormous amount of negative attached with the word confusion. Secondly, this morning, I want to look at the cause for confusion. The cause for confusion. And we actually could probably give you a number of them this morning. I'm only going to give you two because I believe we're going to drill right down to the heart of the matter. There's two main reasons why people are confused today. Number one, there's an ignorance of scripture. Amen. There's an ignorance of scripture. Now, I'm not using that word ignorant in an, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an insulting way. The Bible uses that word often. And we understand that many people are confused simply because they have never heard or been exposed to the truth. We were all ignorant until we met the answer. <laughs> the answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. If I could give you two subpoints under this one, ignorance is a common characteristic of the unsaved. Okay. In Ephesians chapter four, the apostle Paul said in verse 17, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds, having the understanding darkened. There it is. Being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance of That is in them because of the blindness of their heart. They're ignorant. That's why we send missionaries around the world to take the gospel and preach the gospel, tell people that Jesus died for them, they can go to heaven, their sins can be forgiven. They're ignorant of the gospel message until they hear it. That's why we say in the missions conference, the gospel is not the good news if it doesn't get there in time. But ignorance is a common characteristic of the unsaved. The Apostle Paul said this in Romans chapter number ten. We looked at that this morning in Sunday school. Paul said in, in, in Romans chapter number ten, I don't want to misquote it. Here's what he said in verse one, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Side note: sincerity and zeal is not the litmus test for biblical worship. But look at number three, verse number three. This is Romans ten three. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. So ignorance is a common characteristic of the unsaved. And when you are ignorant of the scriptures, you're going to always draw the wrong conclusion. The dots won't connect. The pieces of the puzzle won't fit together. All right. Ignorance is a common characteristic of the unsaved. But secondly, ignorance is a common characteristic of the ungrounded. A person can be saved. They can have been exposed to the truth of the gospel. They could have bowed their head, bowed their heart, repented of their sins, trusted Christ as their Savior, been born again, birthed to the family of God, and have salvation, have eternal life, and know that heaven is their home, and still be confused if they have not been discipled and grounded in the truths of the Word of God. And having access, listen to me carefully, having access to the truth and the word of God and still being confused is just shameful. You say, why would you use the word shameful? Because God did. That word shameful and the word confusion are used interchangeably in so many passages of scripture, it was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Let me just give you a couple of them, how that they worked together. In Job chapter 6, verse number 20, Job said they were confounded because they had hoped, they were confounded. Because they had hoped, they came thither and were ashamed. Confusion, being confounded, and being ashamed are linked together multiple, dozens of times in the scripture. David prayed in Psalm 35, 4, Let them be confounded and put to shame that seek after my soul. Let them be turned back and brought to confusion that devised my hurt. Confusion, confounded, shame. linked together. Psalms 83, 17. Let them be confounded and troubled forever. Yea, let them be put to shame and perish. It, David used it many, many times. That's only two of them. Isaiah chapter 24, verse 23 says, The moon shall be confounded and the sun ashamed. What about that? When the Lord of hosts shall reign in Mount Zion. In Micah chapter 3, verse number 7, talking about the men of God, the prophets. Then shall the seers, S-E-E-R-S, that's the prophets. Then shall the seers be ashamed and the diviners confounded. Yea, they shall cover their lips, for there's no answer of God. So we see the Bible uses the word confusion and confounded and being ashamed or shameful together. Interestingly enough, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Here's what he said. You've got the answer. You've got the truth. You've got the word of God in your hand. If you're confused and you have a Bible, you ought to be ashamed. And you will be ashamed. You'll be ashamed when you're confused and nobody else seems to have the answer. So we see ignorance is of the scripture is one of the causes of confusion. But not only ignorance of the scripture, but secondly, the ignoring of scripture. Now this is next level. There's a group of people that are confused because they've never heard or been exposed to the truth. Then there's a group of people that have been exposed to the truth and rejected it and now They're confused. Once a person has heard the truth, listen to me, and rejects it, their vulnerability to deception increases dramatically. I dealt with this in detail in the series, the anatomy of apostasy that I preached last year. But I have to repeat this point out of 2 Timothy chapter 4 where Paul said this in verse 3, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Meaning they had it. They were under it. They had access to it. They were hearing it. It was being taught. It was being preached. They will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and they shall be turned unto fables. It went from voluntary To involuntary. They shall turn away, that's a willful rejection of truth. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned. That glass right there is being turned, it has no say. I can turn myself away from truth and I can get so vulnerable to deception, the devil can step in and then further turn me to fables. We are living in a day right now where people are being turned into fables, unto fables. It's unreal. Ignoring truth desensitizes the heart and mind to truth. Jesus used the Pharisees as an object lesson of what happens when you ignore truth. In Mark chapter number seven, in verse number seven, here's what he said, "Howbeit in vain do they worship me." Let me just insert another side note right here while I'm at it. well-known preacher that I've known for years and heard many times preach, he said this last week on his social media. He said, I'd be very careful criticizing somebody else's worship. David's wife, Michael, judged his worship through the window, saw him dancing before the Lord, and God judged her. But then you get over to John chapter number four, Jesus looked at the woman at Samaria, the woman at the well, and here's what he said, you know not what you worship." She said, our father's worshiping. We worship down here at this well. He said, you have no idea what you're worshiping. And he said, there are true worshipers and you're not one of them. And he said, the father seeketh such to worship him, but they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Don't tell me I can't criticize or analyze false worship when 1 John 4 tells me to try the spirit's I'm commanded to test and try the spirits whether they are of God. But here Jesus is. I was a side note. That was free. Here's what he said in Mark 7, 7. How be it in vain do they worship me? Their, Their worship is vanity. Just like Cain's worship when he had all of his fruits and vegetables on the altar. No doubt he put his best up there. God was not impressed because it didn't fit God's criteria for worship. He was sincere, but he was wrong. He was worshiping but it was false worship. It was unacceptable worship. Jesus said, let me finish this, how be it in vain do they worship me teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men. Laying aside the commandment of God, let's go back over here and let's do this. What are they doing? Ignoring scripture. Laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. He said in verse 9, full well ye reject the commandment of God that ye may keep your own tradition. Verse 13, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition which ye have delivered and many such like things ye do. These scribes literally spent all day, every day writing the word of God down and then literally rejected it and set it aside and elevated their own traditions and their own ideas above the word of God. Here's what he said in verse 14. Or verse 13, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition which ye have delivered and many such like things you do. And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. There is nothing from without a man that entereth into him that can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. The context was false teaching. And he said in verse 16, If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. What was he saying? Don't ignore the scriptures. Take the word of God, don't reject it, don't set it aside. You have what God said. Read it, listen to it, learn it. Amen. The cause for confusion today is people that are ignorant of the scriptures and people that ignore the scriptures. Let's talk about the cure. The cure for confusion. The cure for confusion is so simple that it's overlooked by millions of people every day. Let me give you three things that the cure is not what we do not need more of. We do not need more secular education. That is not the answer to the confusion we are facing today. In 1 Timothy 3, 7, Paul said, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They got more degrees than a thermometer and don't know a male from a female. Supreme Court justices sitting on the Supreme Court that in front of public cameras in a microphone when asked what is a woman says, I don't know, I'm not a biologist. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Five minutes later, we're going to make rulings that promote women's rights. You don't even know what a woman is. How is that even going to work? And the only reason you're on this chair anyway is because you are a woman. It's unbelievable. Romans one twenty two: professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 2.5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So we don't need more secular education. Number two, we don't need more scholarly elitism. Come on now. Mark there a there is, there's a group of people that think they have, they hold the key to all the answers. Yep. And you've got to go to their college. You've got to read their book and sit through their lectures and watch their video so they can unlock the secrets of the universe. It's funny because God didn't see fit to use the wise and the learned to expound truth. In fact, he chose the absolute opposite. He chose in his sovereignty, according to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, to use the weak and the foolish to confound the wise and confound the mighty. 1 Corinthians 1.25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, have that not many wise men after the flesh not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound or confuse the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty, and the base things of the world, and things that are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. I've said this from day one. If you're saved and you have a Bible and you have the Holy Spirit, that's all you need. Use it. Use it. We don't need more secular education. We don't need more scholarly elitism. We do not need more sensual experiences. Boy, we live in a society today that elevates experiences over the word of God all the time. Well, I don't know what that, I, I know that Bible verse says that, but all I know is that I felt this. I know I was there when I saw this. I was there when I felt this, and I saw that, and I did this. And they just, the Bible just gets tossed in the trash and their personal experiences are elevated above truth. The Bible's clear, minding your experiences is not a valid authority right. for truth. Right. In fact, Peter, in 1 in Peter, here's what he said. He said, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables which we made unknown unto you, the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw his majesty with our eyes on the Mount of Transfiguration. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We were on Mount Transfiguration. We saw the glorified Son of God glowing. We heard the voice of God. There was visual confirmations. There was audible confirmations. But in the very next verse, in verse 19, he said we have a more sure Word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. And he says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. He said it's not by any one man's interpretation. Right. We have something more reliable than our experiences. Right. Amen. One of the hardest things that you can do when you're dealing with the charismatic Is trying to get them to set aside their personal experiences and look at the Word of God. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I love what Brother Andy Wells put out on social media yesterday. He says, I will not trade my Bible for revival. And used to, everybody would say amen to that. Even people that disagreed on everything, we would agree on that. It created an absolute nightmare online saying, I will not trade my Bible for revival. We do not need more sensual experiences. Here's the solution. Here's the cure for confusion. Number one, or letter D, we need more scriptural exploration. We need more people exploring, digging, studying the Word of God. The cure for confusion is found solely within the pages of the Word of God. One of the oldest characters found in the Bible was a man by the name of Job. And here's what Job concluded in Job chapter 32, verse number eight. I love this verse. You ready? But there is a spirit in man and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. What a verse. There's a spirit in man and the inspiration of the Almighty. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. What is the inspiration of the Almighty? The word of God. It giveth that man understanding. Yes, sir. We could stand up here for another hour and quote Bible verses to back up what I just said. The psalmist said this in Psalm one nineteen one thirty: 130: the entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. Yeah. Amen. Unto the simple. I know preachers that didn't finish fifth grade. Stand up with that Bible right there and tell you yeah. just exactly what's going on in the world today. Yeah. They didn't go to some cemetery. (laughs) They didn't sit under some dead, dry, apostate, heretic professor. You know what they did? They read their Bible. They studied their Bible. They dug in that book right there and got answers. One reason confusion abounds is the overall lack of studying and our aversion to time-consuming research. Our attention span as a society has been greatly impeded by memes, cartoons, videos, and flashes of entertainment. Now you can go to YouTube and they have shorts. They used to have videos. They still do. But now they've got shorts. That's like 10, 15 second videos for people that can't sit still, still long enough to watch a 30 minute documentary. It's on Instagram, Facebook. They're little shorts. It's just, it's just flickers, 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 just flashing, flash. And the devil knows that. Right. And he can have more deception and more lies in a fifteen-second short video than you could possibly imagine. It's for people that cannot sit still long enough to study. Let me say this this morning. If you're too lazy to explore the scriptures, but rather you rely on abbreviated versions of somebody else's research, you're opening yourself up to confusion and deception. If you have a Bible, you have the answers. You hold the inspired, infallible, and inerrant Word of God. I'm amazed at the preachers in the last two weeks that have told me we don't have the infallible Word of God. I beg to differ. I beg to differ. Yeah. You have no excuse for being confused. You just need to admit you're too lazy to study your Bible, and the truth's not important enough for you to study it out. Yeah. We need number E, number E. <laughs> we need more spiritual enlightenment Amen. to combat this confusion issue. Here's what the Bible says in John 16:13. Howbeit when he the Spirit of truth has come, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has another name. You know what it's called? The Spirit of Truth. Right. Right. Howbeit when He, the Spirit of Truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of Himself. But whatsoever you shall hear, that shall he speak, and He will show you things to come. Amen. The Holy Spirit of God will enlighten you if you will let the Holy Spirit enlighten you. Here's what 1 John 2 says. This is the opposite of that elitism I was talking about earlier. This super duper, you need me to tell you what's going on. Listen to me. Here's what 1 John says. 1 John 2, 20. But you have an unction from the Holy One. Oh, yeah. That's talking about the Holy Ghost. You have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. Are y'all getting this? If you have the Holy Spirit living within you, you have access to the answers. He says, I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it. And that no lie is of the truth. Verse 26 says, these things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. Here we are back to that subtlety from Genesis 3, 1. Hereby have I written unto you these things concerning them that seduce you, but the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. There's no reason for a spirit-filled Christian to be confused. We have the answer, the truth. The truth. The enlightenment of the Spirit of God living within us. Let me give you one more and I'm done. Letter D, letter E F, letter F. We need more separated exclusion. Come on, amen. Now let me just let me just get on the top rail and pile drive this one for just a minute. Here's what the Bible says. And mark down what I'm telling you. If you hang out with liars and deceivers and carnal people, they will turn you. Yes. Amen. Amen. Come on. Amen. Preach, man. Every preacher in the last two weeks has been battling me about this Bible translation issue. They used to believe like we believe that we have the perfect word of God right here. Yes, we do. It don't need to be rewritten. It just needs to be re-read. Right. Every single one of them, Jaspers, started hanging around and fellowshipping with and preaching with and preaching for and following on social media and reading their stuff and the next thing you know, they hadn't turned none of those modern translation guys back into being King James. They're all chunking their King James and going to any version of the Bible except the King James. Because that's how it works. If you company with people that are ignorant of Scripture or ignore Scripture... Confusion will follow. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul wrote an entire chapter addressing confusion about the doctrine of the resurrection. And here's what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, verse 33, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. The next verse, awake to righteousness and sin not for some have not knowledge of God and I speak this to your shame. There it is again. He says you ought to be ashamed that you've been listening to a bunch of people that denies the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said you know better and you've been hanging around that crowd and they've messed up your theology. Here's what he said. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse number 6. Because you might say, well, preacher, what if they're saved? Our theme's together. Pursuing unity and I'm against division in the body. What if they're believers? What if they're saved? Here's what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse number 6. Now, we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. Because right. 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 here's what's going to happen. Listen to me very carefully what I'm fixing to tell you. There will come a day if you hang around that crowd, you will either have to withdraw yourself from the word of God or withdraw yourself from them. They will not let you run with them until you do. Yeah. Exactly right. yeah. Here's another verse. Are we having fun yet? 1 Timothy chapter 6, here's what he said in verse 3. Paul's writing Timothy, If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he's proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, and evil surmisings. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. We're not in the surmising business. We're not in the I suppose or I think or this is what I prefer. No, we're in the fact business. Romans chapter 16, here's what it says in verse 17. I'm done. Now I beseech you, brethren, Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. They create confusion. They have a hidden agenda. Let me say this, if you hang around confused people, if you read behind confused people, listen to confused people, you're going to become confused. If you listen to people that mingle and mix truth and error, you are going to be confused. There's no reason for you to be confused this morning. We have the word of God. We have the inspired word of God right here that giveth understanding to the simple. We have the author of this book living inside of us. I'll challenge you this morning. Understand how confusion works and how to keep it from happening. You have never one single time heard this preacher say, you need me to tell you. I love preaching. And one of these days I'm going to cut loose and I'm going to preach till I get done. I'm going to preach till I get done, and if you have to go, you can go. I'm gonna, I love to preach. I love to teach. But you've got the Holy Spirit living within you. Right, yeah. And you've got the Word of God in your hands. Right. And for you to be confused about major things is just shameful. Yes. Amen. 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 Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. One thing we don't have to be confused about is how to get to heaven. Right. Bible's crystal clear. Jesus came... They have 33 and a half years of sin, sinless life to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He came and was crucified, died on an old rugged cross, shed his blood. They put him in a, they put him in a borrowed tomb. He stayed there three days and he came out victorious over death, hell, in the grave. And he paid mine and your sin debt on the cross of Calvary. And this morning, if you will put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, not in baptism, not in church membership, Not in your good works, but in the finished work of Calvary. Jesus Christ this morning will save you. He will perform a supernatural miracle in you that the Bible calls the new birth. You'll be regenerated. You'll become a new creature in Christ. Every sin you've ever ever committed will be washed away. God will become your father. Heaven will become your home. The Holy Spirit will indwell you your life will be radically and drastically changed forever this morning if you accept Christ as your Savior. I wonder with folks in the altar and with heads bowed, eyes closed, we've got a baptism, so we've got a few minutes this morning. There may be somebody say, Pastor Shiflett, I'm not sure if I died right now. I would go to heaven. And I want you to pray for me. Would you be honest enough this morning? With heads bowed and eyes closed, to quietly slip your hand up right where you're sitting. Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure if I died right now, I'd go to heaven, pray for me. Anybody anywhere, preacher, pray for me. Anybody anywhere, if you're watching online, there's a phone number on this. There's a phone number on the screen. If you'll text that number, somebody'll call you. There may be a child of God sitting here this morning, and your life could be characterized by just confusion. Let me ask you a question. How much time are you spending in the Word of God? How much time are you spending praying in the Holy Ghost and allowing God to bring to you, enlighten your heart and bring in understanding to your mind and to your life? Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth rightly dividing the word of truth we have the truth we have the answers